Good morning, Orchard Church. Hey, can we give it up for our praise team this morning? Was that awesome or what? Man, we are so blessed to have such an incredible worship team at Orchard. Hey, take out your Bibles this morning. Guess what book we're turning to? Esther. We're about to wrap up this incredible story in the book of Esther. Esther chapter 7 verse 1 today is where we will pick it up. And so as we are finding our way to Esther chapter 7, I'll be reading from the New Living Translation if you want to try to match up uh, translations on your uh, smartphone or mobile device. Uh, Let me ask you this question. How many of you guys have ever said something uh, like this phrase? Maybe to your spouse, your kids, a friend or a coworker. You you had to have a difficult conversation and you said, we just need to get all the cards on the table. Have you ever said that before? Yeah, we just need to be honest. Let's get all the cards on the table. And and that's actually kind of a poker term. In poker, you know, you're playing and you put your chips in and then they have what's called the showdown. And that's the title of our message today, where you lay your cards down and everybody reveals their cards. That's exactly what we're going to see happen today in the book of Esther. As the cards are revealed, um, we're going to find out about Esther being Jewish. We're going to find out what's going to happen to Mordecai, Haman. How's the king going to respond in the story to what he's going to hear from Esther. So if you haven't been here, I, I, don't, I can't take a lot of time to catch you up on the first six chapters because actually this week and next week we're wrapping up the story, but you can always go to our website, orchard.church, and you can watch these online. I encourage you to do that if you need to get caught up. But let me just kind of tell you what's going on in this story. This is a story that really happened 2,500 years ago in the Persian Empire. There was a king. His name was King Xerxes. He had a queen. He got upset with his first queen. He got rid of her, and he had basically a bachelor of of Persia contest. He chose a new queen. It was one of the most unlikely of choices. It was a Jewish orphan, and her name was Queen what, church? Esther, and she's the star of our show. Uh, The king didn't know she was Jewish. Uh, Most people didn't know she was Jewish except for her adoptive father, a man named Mordecai, and that's very key in the story as we're going to see today because the king's finally going to find out that she's Jewish, and God puts her at the right place at the right time for just such a time as this because there was an evil man, a wicked man named Haman. He was the right-hand man, kind of the prime minister. Yeah, we don't like Haman. Well, we're going to get rid of Haman today, so hang in there. This is a good day. And so this guy... Haman gets mad at Mordecai, finds out he's a Jew. He wouldn't bow down to Haman. So he gets the king to sign a decree that in a year, 15 million innocent people, Jewish people, all Jewish people living in the Persian Empire are going to be killed. They're going to be annihilated. Women, children, innocent people. Um, Mordecai finds out about this. He tells it to Esther, says, you need to talk to the king, but you can't just go see the king uninvited or you can lose your life. And so this is where Esther, a couple of weeks ago, was willing to take an all-in step of faith to go to the king, to plead for her life and the life of her people. So she decides to have a banquet, kind of a dinner party for the king and Haman and herself. The first party, she doesn't give her request. She's just kind of whining and dining and buttering up the king. And then we saw some things happen last week between Haman and Mordecai. We'll talk about that today. Now today in chapter 7, we're at the second dinner party. The king is there, the queen is there, and Haman is there. And she's finally going to tell the king who she is and what her request is. And so that kind of of catches everyone up. I shared a verse with you last week. Proverbs chapter 11 verse 8 says this, the godly are rescued from trouble and it falls on who church? The wicked instead. And we're going to see this verse in Proverbs play out before our very eyes today in chapter 7. Um, we're going to see this in the story that the godly are rescued from trouble, but it's going to fall on the wicked, a man named Haman instead. So let's dive in today to chapter seven as we see the showdown, as the cards are put on the table and things are revealed. If you're taking notes today, the first thing we're going to see is the 
queen's request. She's finally going to uh, make her request of the king. Esther chapter 7 verse 1 says, So the king and Haman went to Queen Esther's banquet on the second occasion. This is the second banquet. And while they were drinking wine, there's a lot of wine drinking in this story. Okay, It's not a sin. It's not wrong to drink wine as long as you don't drink too much wine. And so she, she's wined him. She's dined him. And the king again said to Esther, Tell me what you want. This is the third time that he's like, what do you want? Tell me what you want, what you really, really want. Okay, sorry, I got sidetracked there. It's like, tell me what you want, Queen Esther. What is your request? This is the third time. He's like, this is the second banquet. Why did you put your life on the line? What is your request? He's like, woman, what do you want? Now, let me just uh, help some of you ladies and men today. Listen, ladies. You need to tell us what you want. We don't know what you want. Amen, men? We need help. You have to spell it out. You have to be specific. Just tell us what you want. That's what the king is saying here. What, what do you want? We don't know. The king doesn't know. Verse 2, he says, tell me what you want. What's your request? I will give it to you even if it is half the kingdom. Now, when he says, I'll give it to you even if it's half the kingdom, this is kind of royal hyperbole, a figure of speech. He's saying, I'll give you whatever you want. I'll give you the moon. I'll let you control the remote control tonight for the TV. (laughs) He didn't really mean that. He's just saying, you know, I, I, I really love you. I really want to help you out. But listen, Queen Esther is so wise and so smart. She has got the king right where she wants him. She has wined and dined him with two banquets. She has set him up. Well, he's like, please tell me. I'll do anything. I'll, I'll grant your request. What is it that you want? He, she has got him right where she wants him. This is not the first wife in history that's been able to accomplish this. I learned this the hard way in my home this last summer. Um, my wife, Shelly, and I, we will be married 25 years uh, this Christmas. The day after Christmas will be our 25th anniversary. Yeah, praise God for that. She has put up with me for 25 years. She definitely deserves an applause. But, um, you know, those of you that know my wife, Shelly, you know, everybody's like, oh, Shelly is so kind. She's so generous. She's so gracious. She's so merciful and loving and sweet. Listen, church, she's evil. You don't know what happens behind the scenes. She is evil. You need to pray for her. Let me tell you what she did to your pastor. How she set me up big time. Um, When I was growing up, uh, I had a guy one time, I I threw a paper route. Um, When I was in like middle school and going into high school, I threw a a paper route. I know a lot of you are like, what is a paper route? What is a paper? There were these things that were black and white on paper and you get them at your house and you read them. But I'll help some of you guys with that. And I was throwing a paper route and this one guy owed me a bunch of money on my paper route and he couldn't pay me. And so he had this old motorcycle and I'd always wanted a motorcycle. So he gave me his motorcycle and and I had a motorcycle in high school. Then when I got into college, um, I bought another motorcycle. I got a Honda Rebel so I could, could drive around college. It was easier to get around. Well, I haven't had, owned a motorcycle in like 30 years now. And uh, for the last, you know, 15 years living in Colorado, about every year when it gets warm outside and I see people riding motorcycles, I'll say to Shelly, man, you know, I used to have a motorcycle in high school and college. One of these days I'd like to get a motorcycle again. And her always her response in the past was, no, no, you don't need one of those. Those are dangerous. No, 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 no. Well, this last spring... I saw some people riding motorcycles. It was getting warm outside, and I said, man, I'd still like to get a motorcycle one of these days. And she immediately goes, I think you should do that. And I'm like, is she trying to get rid of me? 
What's going on? And she's like, I think that's a good idea. And I'm like, are you serious? She's like, yeah. She goes, you know, I know you'll get a good deal. You'll buy a used one. You'll pay cash for it. She goes, you know, if you, you want a motorcycle, then I think you should go for it. Get yourself a motorcycle. I'm like, all right. So I researched it out. I had saved up some money. I paid cash for it. I bought myself a motorcycle, one with a nice low seat that, you know, my legs will, my feet will touch the, I don't think that's funny. Got me a really nice one. And so I just couldn't believe how easy it was. And she was actually even encouraging me to get this motorcycle. About two months goes by. And if you guys know my wife, you follow her on Facebook, um, you know I'm a dog lover. We're dog lovers. And we have this little dog. He's a long-haired dachshund. His name is Bentley. He's about three years old. And for a while now, my wife has been bugging me saying, you know, I think Bentley needs a friend. We've got a male dog. We need a female dog. We, we, need, we need a little puppy. We need a little girl, you know, Bentley, and we're going to call her Tesla and all this stuff. And I'm like, no, we, we've got a perfect dog. He's great. We don't need another dog. And then one, she's been bugging me about it, and I keep putting her off. And one day she's like, look what I found. And she's like, I found this on, on Facebook. There's, there's these puppies. They're going to be born. It's a little miniature, long-haired dogs, and they got a little girl. It's in Kansas, and, and I can go drive and get it. And I'm like, Shelly, I don't know. I really don't know that we need another dog. We don't need a puppy. And I said, how much is it? She tells me how much it is. And I'm just like, I, we really don't need that. I said, that's way too much. Immediately she goes, what about the motorcycle? <laughs> no hesitation. I mean, jumped right out of her mouth. I'm like, I realized in that moment, I have been set up. I tell you, she's evil. You need to pray for her. And I hated to have to do this. I really did. I felt bad. You know, we've got a great marriage going on 25 years, but I had to put my foot down. And as the spiritual leader of our home, I had to play that card. I said, Shelly, no, we are not getting another puppy. And I put my foot down. <laughs> Would you all pray for your pastor? I'm really getting soft in my old age, so... So we got a puppy. She worked me, man. She had me set up. That's exactly what's happening here uh, with the queen and the king. I mean, he's like, tell me what you want. I'll give it to you. What's, what's your request? Well, let's what, find out what happens. In verse 3, Queen Esther finally asked her request. It says, Queen Esther replied, if I have found favor with the king and if it pleases the king to grant my request, I ask that my life and the lives of my people, what, who are the people she's talking about? The Jewish people will be spared for my people, the Jewish people, and I have been sold to those who would kill, slaughter, and annihilate us. She's talking about this decree that the king signed. If we had merely been sold as slaves, I could remain quiet, for that would be too trivial a matter to warrant disturbing the king. She's still being respectful. Basically, what is her request? I don't want to die. I don't want to be murdered, and I don't want 15 million innocent people, the Jewish people, to be murdered. And this is like... The life-changing decision for Esther. I mean, this is the culmination of this story. When she is fully all in with her faith and she lays her cards on the table and she says, you need to know about this. I'm Jewish and 15 million people are about to die. This was the decision of her life. She risked her life to take this step of faith. So how is the king going to respond now that he finds this out? Because he still doesn't even know she's Jewish. We've seen the queen's request. If you're taking notes, let's look at the king's response. How does he respond to this? Verse 5. He said, first thing he says, who would do such a thing? Who would want to kill you? 
And these people, he doesn't realize this is the decree he signed. Who would do such a thing, King Xerxes demanded. Who would be so presumptuous as to touch you, to try to kill you? And Esther replied, uh, that guy, Haman, who's right there at the banquet. Esther replied, this wicked Haman is our adversary, our enemy. Haman grew pale with fright before the king and queen. Want to get away? It's another one of those moments. She plays her cards and she forces Haman to play his cards. Then the king jumped to his feet in a rage and he went out into the palace garden. And he is mad. He is furious. And he's surprised. He, he realizes now, oh my goodness, you're Jewish? I thought you were Persian. Now they've been married for like 10 years now. I mean, men, this would be like you come home after being married 10 years to your wife and she's, you know, fixing Chinese food one night. And you're like, oh, why are you fixing Chinese food? Because I'm Asian. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. He's like, oh, you're Jewish. You're not Persian. <laughs> but the king also realized in this moment that he had consented to his wife's murder because she's Jewish. She's included in this decree. He's been duped. He's been tricked. He's been manipulated. And, and Esther forces Haman to reveal himself. And the king is mad, one, because Haman is planning to kill his wife and 15 million innocent people. But I think he's also furious. He's in his rage because he realizes that he has fallen prey to this conspiracy. He's trusted his right man, Haman, and he's been played. And now the king has to find a way to save his wife's life and how to save face because he was dumb enough to sign this decree without asking any questions. You see the dilemma. Say yes. yes. Now what happens while the king is out in the garden and he's trying to regain his composure and he's furious, there's something that happens back inside the palace. Verse 7. It says, Then the king jumped to his feet in a rage and went out into the palace. Haman, however, stayed behind to plead for his life with Queen Esther. For he knew that the king intended to do what, church? Kill him. Haman's pleading for his life. Haman didn't know that... Esther was Jewish. I mean, this is an oh crap moment. You say, can we say crap in church? Well, we do in orchard. You know, we keep it real. I'm cleaning it up from what it probably said. We keep it real here. He's like, well, crap. I didn't know when we signed this decree that she's Jewish. I've made a big mistake. And, and there's this great paradox, if you will, that happens at this moment. Because you remember those that have been following the story. What led Haman to want to sign a decree to get 15 million innocent Jewish people killed? It was because of one man, Mordecai, who was a Jew that wouldn't bow down to him. And it's interesting. That's what led to all of this evil plan. But now, what a paradox as Haman is fallen at his feet, bowing down before a Jewish woman named Esther. Isn't it interesting how things have come around in this story. It's a paradox. So we see Queen Esther's request. We see the king's response, and he's furious. And then if you're taking notes, we see the joker's reward. The joker is Haman in the story. What's going to happen to him now that the king knows? He's had to play his cards. Verse 8 says, in despair, he, Haman, fell on the couch where king, Queen Esther was reclining just as the king was returning from the palace garden. So he's fallen down there on the couch with Esther. The king explained, will he even assault the queen right here in the palace before my very eyes? And as soon as the king spoke, his attendants covered Haman's face and this signaling his doom. I mean, 
Basically, what you need to understand is Esther would have had this couch that was her couch. It was probably a gold couch, and she's reclined and laying on this couch, and she's telling the story and revealing her cards and Haman's cards to the king, and then all of a sudden, Haman realizes he's in a big predicament. He's in a big mess. He falls on the couch at her feet, begging for his life. You don't do that with a queen. That was her couch. You, you, don't, you don't get on her couch. Ladies, wouldn't you like to have a couch like this? Wouldn't you like to have a chair in your home that you, nobody, you never have to move over for anybody? That's your spot. And so when the king, he's got to figure out a way to try to get rid of Haman, but he's got to do it legally. And so he comes in, he sees a perfect opportune moment. He says, he's trying to assault the queen. I don't think he was really trying to assault the queen, but this was a great opportunity for the king. And he's like, this is a capital crime. We can have him killed for this. Verse 9, then Harbona, one of the king's eunuchs, said, Haman has set up a sharpened pole that stands 75 feet tall in his own courtyard. Remember this? He intended to use it to impale who, church? Mordecai, the Jew, the man who saved the king from assassination, back in chapter 2. Then impale him on it, the king ordered. So they impaled Haman on the pole that had been set up for Mordecai, and the king's anger subsided. Wow, how things have changed in this story. Wow, how the tables have turned. I mean, we've had eunuch kebabs in this story. We almost had a Mordecai kebab. Now we have a Haman kebab. Can we celebrate? I mean, this is a good thing, right? We're finally getting rid of this wicked, evil man that wanted to kill 15 million innocent people named Haman. And the king was probably like, well, that worked well. He just happened to have this 75-foot pole that he prepared for Mordecai. Put him on it. Let me remind you what the Bible says. The righteous are delivered from trouble, and it falls on the wicked instead. Isn't our God good? God takes care of his people. God takes care of his own. And you know, I, when I think of this scene, it kind of reminds me of like the Wizard of Oz. You remember the, the wicked witch of the West, you know, causing trouble and wickedness all through the story. And at the end, they throw water on her. And she's like, I'm melting. Remember that whole deal? Man, as a kid, I loved that because nobody liked the wicked witch of the West. I see Haman like this. Everybody's like, yes. I was going over some of this, my message in this story with some of the guys as I do every week. And they said, one of the new guys on our staff, Matt, who was saying this morning with us on the worship team, he said, man, you really like the Wizard of Oz, don't you? And I'm like, yeah, I kind of do. It's like the little boy in me that keeps coming out. I just don't like those flying monkeys. I still have nightmares of those flying monkeys. But I remember when the Wicked Witch of the West was finally gone and she melted. I, I see that with Haman. We've finally gotten rid of Haman, this wicked, evil man that wanted to kill 15 million innocent people. And so it's, it's, we can celebrate that this morning, but, but hold on. Not too fast. We still have a major problem in this story because the decree that the king signed became a law of the Medes and Persians. And once something becomes a law of the Medes and the Persians, it is unchangeable. You say, well, can't the king change it? No, because that would be the king admitting that he had messed up. That law is still in effect. And about 10 months from now, 15 million innocent people are still going to be killed. And it includes Queen Esther. So even though Haman is killed and he's gone, the law is still in effect. If you're with me, say yes. So what is Mordecai, what is Esther going to do about this decree that's going to happen in about 10 months? Next week. You're going to have to come back. And you're going to find out, and we're going to wrap up the story next week. What, what do they do with this decree? 
And it's amazing what God allows to be put in place. But as we wrap it up this morning, let's make some practical applications to our lives. And you have this in your notes. You know, sometimes I come home from work and Shelly will ask me about my day. And then she'll tell me about her day and she'll say something like this. Well, honey, I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. And then she always asks me, which one do you want first? Now, I don't know how you guys answer that, but I always say, give me the bad news first. So we can end on a happy note and the good news. Well, I've got some bad news for us this morning, and I've got some good news. So as you're hearing the bad news, hang in there. We're going to end on a very good news, happy point. So if you're taking notes, let me give you some application. Here's the bad news. The bad news is this. We harvest what we plant. Another way to say it in the old version of the Bible is we reap what we sow. We harvest what we plant. Paul talked about this in Galatians chapter 6. Because what we've seen in the story is a man named Haman that has been planting and sowing evil and wickedness throughout the story. And now he's harvesting what he planted. And Paul said in Galatians 6, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. We've seen the justice of God play out in the book of Esther. Amen? He says this, you will always, help me church, you will always harvest what you plant. This is true in the physical realm and this is true in the spiritual realm. You know that if you plant an apple seed, you're going to get an apple tree. Don't plant an apple seed and expect an orange tree. If you plant an orange seed, you're going to get an orange tree. That's true in the physical realm. Amen? But it's also true in the spiritual realm. And Paul says, be careful because you harvest what you plant. And he goes on to say this in verse 8. Those who live only to satisfy their own, what? Sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. Haman planted evil and wickedness throughout this story. Haman planted anger toward Mordecai and he harvested anger from the king toward himself. Haman planted this evil, wicked story to have 15 million people killed. He, he planted an idea to have Mordecai hung on a 75-foot pole. And what did he harvest? His own death on that very same pole. Because we harvest what we plant. Proverbs 26, 27 says it this way. If you set a trap for others, you will get caught in it yourself. That's exactly what happened to Haman, isn't it? He set a trap for Mordecai. He set a trap for the Jews. He got caught in himself. If you roll a boulder down on others, it will crush who, church? You instead. And Haman is hung on the very pole that he had set up for Mordecai. Because you cannot escape the spiritual principle that you reap what you sow. You harvest what you plant. And how does this apply to our lives? How does this apply to my life? Listen, whether you're a Christ follower or you're not a Christ follower. If you're not a Christ follower and you're here today, somebody invited you, we're, we're so glad you're here. We will meet you where you are in your journey to find Christ. But whether you're an unbeliever or you're a believer today, this applies to all of us. If we live a life apart from God and His Word and His Spirit and just live according to the world's ways instead of God's ways, we shouldn't wonder why things go difficult in our life. We shouldn't wonder why we have struggles and challenges all the time because we harvest what we plant. And there are consequences to living a life apart from God's plan and God's word. There's, there's, there are consequences. You know, if we don't pay attention to our marriage and we don't put time into our marriages because good, healthy marriages don't happen by accident, you say, yeah, I know, they're 50-50. No, they're not. They're 100-100. And if you don't live them according to God's word and God's principles, don't be surprised if your marriage doesn't make it. 
Don't be surprised if you have problems. If you don't pour into your kids according to God's word and God's principles, don't be surprised if your kids struggle and your kids don't have anything to do with God. If you don't live according to God's word when it comes to your finances, there are over 2,300 scriptures in the Bible about money and possessions. And if we disregard those and live the way everybody else lives in the world, don't be surprised when you're in debt and you're in bondage and you can't ever make ends meet and you wonder, why can't we ever get ahead? Because we harvest what we plant. We reap what we sow. And sometimes people wonder, why am I so unhappy? Why am I so unfulfilled? Why am I so unsatisfied? Why doesn't God seem to be blessing me like he's blessing other people? Maybe, maybe it's because we are harvesting what we've planted. I always know when you guys are convicted because you get real quiet on me. (laughs) But I love you guys. I love you enough to tell you Not just what you want to hear, but what you need to hear and what I need to hear. Amen? I don't think you would respect me as your pastor if I didn't. And some of you, maybe you're going through some of the things in your life because you brought them on yourself. Sometimes, you know, we are living for God and difficult things come in our life and God uses those things to grow our faith. But sometimes we just got to look in the mirror. And we have a value here at Orchard Church that we keep it real. And I want to just keep it real right now. And, and some of you, are, are you with me in this? Sometimes I look at the decisions people make in their life, and then I look at the consequences, and, and I get tired sometimes of people blaming God for their own stupidity. Can I just say it that way? Anybody with me on that? Sometimes I just look at people, and, and I just, why are you blaming God when you've lived a life completely apart from God, and you wonder why these things are going on? The Bible says we harvest what we plant. I mean, if you live a sexually promiscuous life and you get a sexually transmitted disease, God still loves you and God will forgive you, but you may be dealing with those consequences the rest of your life because we harvest what we plant. We reap what we sow. It's not God's fault. We make bad financial decisions, we're probably going to struggle in our finances. We we don't put effort in our marriage, we could probably struggle in our marriage. Here's the question I think that we reality check that we need to ask ourselves, all of us, because we harvest what we plant, we reap what we sow. What seeds... Are you planting today that you may regret when the harvest happens tomorrow? That's convicting to me. That's convicting to me. What seeds is Doug planting today that I might regret when the harvest comes tomorrow? Because the bad news is we harvest what we plant. We reap what we sow. We cannot escape that. Haman couldn't escape it, and we can't escape it. Your pastor can't escape it. So now that we're all depressed, who's ready for some good news? That's the bad news. But it's true, isn't it? Amen? It's true. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. Here's the good news. Are you ready for this? You could probably fill this in yourself. We harvest what we plant. Amen? The bad news is we harvest what we plant. The good news is we harvest what we plant. And, you know, growing up in church, I always heard Galatians chapter 6 preached in the negative. We reap what we sow, we reap what we sow, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this. But there's a positive to this verse. Listen to what Paul says as we finish this verse. He says, don't be misled, you cannot mock the justice of God, you will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from the sinful nature. But, everybody say but. That's one of the best words in the Bible, B-U-T, but, okay. But, here's the good news, those who live to, say it church, Please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. Can we praise God for that this morning? Amen? 
That's the good news. The bad news is we harvest what we plant. The good news is we harvest what we plant. When we plant seeds of righteousness and good and faith. Esther went all in in this story with her faith. She risked her life. She put her life on the line for God's people. And she didn't know the outcome. She didn't know the end of the story like we know the end of the story. And she took a step of faith. And Esther planted seeds of good with her faith. And as we're going to see next week, she's going to harvest a reward. You don't want to miss it. And I believe this, and I know many of you believe this, and this is the good news, that God rewards our faith and good works. Do you believe that, church? Say yes. yes. God wants to reward our faith and good works, not for salvation. We cannot work for our salvation. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, we are saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works. We are not saved by good works, but we're saved for good works. And when we do those good works and we live according to godly biblical principles and the Spirit of God guiding and leading us, we can expect to harvest what we planted, which is everlasting life. And when you hear that phrase, everlasting life, people think, well, everlasting life begins when we die. Not for a believer. For a believer, everlasting life begins the moment you accept Christ. Jesus said, I'm going to give you life and give it more abundantly. And God could bring some incredible life into your life if you would harvest what you plant by planting seeds of righteousness. This is one of my new favorite verses. Man, I'm going to put it on the screen. Some of y'all need to memorize this, and more importantly, we need to live this out. It says, there is truly a reward for those who live for who, church? God. Man, isn't that a great verse? Isn't that a great promise? There truly is a reward. For those who live for God, in your small group this week, you're going to get a chance to unpack this and talk about this. What does it mean to live for God? The bad news is we harvest what we plant. The good news is we harvest what we plant. There truly is a reward for those who live for God. It's not an accident that God blesses some people the way they do. It's not an accident that God blesses some marriages because they're putting God first and they're trying to do it God's way. It's not an accident that God blesses some of your kids because you have them in church and you put them in kids' ministry and they learn God's word on their level and, and God works in their life at an early age and God blesses that. It's not an accident that God blesses some people in their finances because they put God first. We say it all the time here at Orchard Church. One of our values is we want to be a church that acts our wage. How do we do that according to biblical principles? By giving to God first, saving second, and living on the rest. And when you apply that to your life, it's amazing how much God can bless you. And it's not only financially, but it's in things that money can't buy. It's not an accident that God blesses some people's decisions over other people's decisions because they consult God's word and they pray about it and they, they are in tune with the spirit of God. It's not an accident that God blesses some relationships and others he doesn't. If you cut God out of your relationships, don't expect that God's going to bless that. Amen? Now, this doesn't mean that life's going to be perfect. You know, if I, if, I, if I follow God and I follow God's word and spirit, you know, and, and do everything right, that everything's going to be perfect because the Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust. It doesn't mean that if I follow God, we don't preach a feel-good gospel here. It doesn't mean that I'm never going to get sick, my kids are going to get straight A's, I'm going to win the lottery, and I'm never going to get a zit. Okay? It's not what we're talking about. But I do believe God rewards those who do good for Him. Don't you? And He rewards sometimes in things that money can't buy, like peace, love, joy, patience, goodness, kindness. Listen, church, because I love you guys, and I want to help some of you. Listen, God wants to bless you, but you've got to be blessable. 
Let me say that again. I believe our Heavenly Father wants to bless you. But you've got to be blessable. Now, don't go look up blessable in the dictionary. It's not there. That's in the Doug Dameron version, okay? But you know what I mean, right? God wants to bless. It's like your kids. You want to do nice things for your kids and, and, and do, say yes to them when they want certain things, but you can't if they're being disobedient. You can't reward bad behavior. But God, the good news is we harvest what we plant and God wants to bless us. You say, well, what are some of the seeds that I could be planting so that I can produce a spiritual harvest of, of blessing and, and reward? Well, it starts by accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, amen? I and mean, that's the first and most important step, that you accept Christ in your life. You say, oh, okay, so I need religion. No, not religion, a relationship with Jesus. And then it's important that you do what God has Ask you to do, the Bible says that God blesses those who obey him. And the first step of obedience after we accept Christ, the first thing he asks us to do is what? Get baptized. Go public with your faith. And then start cultivating a relationship with the Lord. That we pray. That's how we talk to God. We get in God's word. And that's how he talks to us. That we get in church. Why do we need to go to church? Because God wants his family and his kids to get together. To love each other, to pray for each other, to worship together. He wants you to serve in the church because he's given you gifts and abilities to give back. So that you can help advance his kingdom for his redemptive purposes. He wants you to get in a small group so you can build relationships. Because here at Orchard Church, we know relationships don't happen in rows. They happen in circles. And they happen in homes. And some of you are starting to experience that as you're getting connected in a small group. God wants you to be discipled and disciple other people. Because Jesus' famous last words will go and make disciples. That's planting spiritual seeds. God wants you to put him first. He wants you to tithe. He wants you to give. All those things are ways that we plant spiritual seeds so that when the harvest comes, God can bless us and God can reward us. God wants to bless us, but we must be blessable. And one of the greatest seeds that you can plant to harvest a spiritual reward, there's nothing greater than this, and that is telling somebody else about Jesus. Because that's something that will last for all eternity. And I want to challenge and encourage you guys to live on mission. That when you leave here today and you wake up tomorrow in your neighborhood, in your home, to go to work, to go to school, that you wake up and you say, I'm going to live on mission today. My mission today is to tell somebody about the man that changed my life and his name is Jesus. I'm going to, I'm going to take an invite card. I'm going to invite somebody to church. I'm going to put a sticker on my car so somebody can see it. I'm going to share a Facebook post from Orchard because we hear people all the time say, well, I came to Orchard because somebody posted something. These are all ways that we plant seeds of faith so people can come to Jesus. Our mission here at Orchard Church, let's say it together, church, is what? Help people find and follow Jesus. And that means we're all doing that all the time. And, and when you plant that seed of the gospel in someone's life and then you see them accept Christ, listen, I'm telling you, there is no greater reward than that. Amen. To see your friend, your neighbor, your coworker, your family member go from death to life and that you had a part in that. Because God rewards those who live for him. And I want to wrap this up this morning with, with a story that uh, has happened in the last about seven Oh, about, what would it be, about nine months here in our church. And uh, about a year ago, I, I realized that, you know, to keep up with the growth of our church and, and what's been going on, that I needed an executive pastor, someone that could help me, you know, with the staff and the finances and, and, and just the systems and processes of our church, especially as we move into the new building and, and 
you know, could double the amount of people we help find and follow Jesus. And, you know, we always want to look first within our own church family. You know, did, has God placed someone in our church for just such a time as, as this to meet our need? And so we started praying about it. We started looking around. And there's a family that's been in our church for about six years. And uh, this gentleman, his name is Ryan Dickinson. He's now our executive pastor. Many of you know him. You've heard him preach. Ryan and his family found our church, and they just jumped in. And they got into a small group. They got into discipleship. They started serving. Uh, Ryan has discipled, uh, I think, five or six different men in our church. They've served in a lot of different areas. They've hosted small groups. You know, the Bible says if you're faithful over a few things, then God will trust you with more. Amen? And we, we, I knew he had had a little bit of ministry experience in his background, but um, he uh, had been in a business. He started his own business. And a very, very successful business, financially doing very, very well. But I had lunch with him one day, and I said, you know, I'm looking for executive pastor, and I've been watching you and your faithfulness, and you guys, man, are so bought in here at Orchard Church and living on mission, and, and would you consider becoming part of our full-time staff and our full-time team? And at first, man, he said, man, I'm, I'm really just humbled and honored that you'd even consider me, but right now my business is, man, just doing great. I have three other partners. I just, I just don't feel like the timing is right, you know, maybe, maybe later. And so I said, I, I respect that. I understand. And I went away, and I, I prayed that he would listen to God the same way I was and that God would tell him what he was telling me, which he would be the perfect fit. And then about two months later, he called me and he said, you know, have you filled that position yet? And I said, no. And he said, well, you know what? God's really been working in my heart and life. And I think I need to at least take an all-in step of faith to go through the process. So we went through the process and we realized that Ryan was a perfect fit for our executive pastor. But he had to take a major step of faith. He had to plant some serious spiritual seeds to walk away from a very successful, lucrative business because nobody goes into ministry to get rich. This is not how it works. And he, he said, I'm going to step away. And so he, he was going to sell his business interest, his part of his partnership. And he had an amount of money that he shared with his partners that he felt would be fair uh, for him to walk away and be bought out of his business. Well, his number was much higher than the partner's. Uh, number was, but they were supportive. They're Christians as well. And, and, and they said, you know, maybe the only fair thing to do is put this in God's hands and let's get a third party to analyze our business and find out what your portion is really worth. And whatever they come back with, that's what we'll go with. And it might be higher and it might be lower. And they all agreed to it. And, and Ryan said, man, will you pray for me? Because we're waiting for the decision, you know, and it might be much lower than what I was asking for. I, I don't know. And so he took that step of faith. He, 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 he walked away from his, he didn't walk away from his business after he found out he had already joined our staff. He was already part of our team, walked completely away from his business, left it in the Lord's hands. The report came back. The amount was 50% higher than what he was asking for. Can we praise God for that? Amen. <laughs> he planted some spiritual seeds of faith and he harvested a blessing, but it doesn't stop there. That was just the beginning of the blessing. That was minor compared to this blessing. Ryan grew up out in eastern Colorado about three hours away and on a farm. And Ryan's father um, wasn't a churchgoer, not a believer. And Ryan did, was not raised in a Christian home. He didn't accept Christ until he was in college when he was about 19. And he fell in love with the Lord and started studying for ministry. And for many, many years now, he's been sharing his faith with his father and his father's like, well, I believe in God, but you know, I don't really know if I need Jesus and church and all that kind of stuff. And so he just been witnessing to his father and praying for his father all these many years. His father is 75 years of age. And on Father's Day this last summer, I was out of town. He stepped in to preach for me on Father's Day. And Ryan's father got in his car and drove three hours 
to surprise his son because he was preaching. And, and Ryan's up here preaching and he sees his dad walk in the back and he sits in the service. And at the end of that service on Father's Day, his 75-year-old father raised his hand and invited Jesus Christ into his life as Lord and Savior. Can we praise God for that? Because we harvest what we plant. And when we plant seeds of righteousness, God rewards that. Let me ask you, church, what are the seeds you're planting today when the harvest comes tomorrow? Because we harvest what we plant. Because there truly is a reward for those who live for God. There truly is a reward. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. May we apply it to all of our lives. As we continue in attitude of prayer right now with heads bowed and eyes closed. How many of you as believers here today, you would say, you know what? I want to make sure that I'm living for God. I do believe there's a reward. I I believe God wants to bless me, but I want to be blessable. I want to make sure I'm planting the right seeds now when the harvest comes tomorrow. Anyone like that? Can I pray for you all across the auditorium? Would you slip up your hands? I want to make sure I'm planting the right seeds. God bless you. Amen. Hands everywhere. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray that we would be doers of your word and not just hearers only, that we would live for you believing there is a reward and there is a blessing. And because you deserve it, because you've given your life and everything for us. And Lord, we pray that we put this, these truths into practice in our life, that we would live a life that is worthy of blessing. As we continue in an attitude of prayer right now, maybe you're here today and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, like Ryan's 75-year-old father did on Father's Day. You've never taken that step of faith to invite him into your life, to forgive you of your sins. Well, I've got some bad news, and I've got some good news for you. The bad news is the Bible says we have all sinned, and because of that, we fall short of a relationship with God. The Bible says because of our sin, Romans 6, 23, the wages, the payment of our sin is death. That's what we deserve. That's the bad news. But here's the good news. The payment of sin is death, but, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That our God showed his love toward us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In the same way that Esther in the story was willing to put her life on the line to die to save her people. Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago did put his life on the line and he died to save you. And to forgive you. And to give you everlasting life. If you've never made that decision to say yes to Jesus, I want to give you that opportunity right now in this place. I'm going to pray a prayer out loud. And if you would be willing to pray this prayer from your heart to God's then he, he will come into your life today. He'll forgive you of your sins. It's not a magic prayer or magic words, but if you put faith behind it, you can say yes to Jesus today. If that's you today, you know who you are. Would you pray this prayer with me? It goes like this. Jesus, I'm calling on you today. Come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Forgive me my sins. I accept the gift of eternal life. Thank you, Jesus doing that for me. Thank you. So we continue an attitude of prayer with heads bowed and eyes closed. Nobody looking around for a moment. I don't want to embarrass anybody, but listen, if you just prayed that prayer for the first time, I'd love to pray for you that you would grow in your relationship with Jesus from this day forward. So right now, without hesitation, if you prayed that prayer, can I pray for you? Would you just slip up your hand all across the auditorium? God bless you, young man. God bless you, young man right here. God bless you over here. God bless you up here. Two or three people there. God bless you. God bless you, sir. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. One, two people over here. Amen. Amen. God bless you up here. Yes. Amen. God bless you. Let me pray for you. Father, I just thank you for all those saying yes to you today. Lord, may we never get tired of people saying yes to Jesus. 
as we help people find and follow you. And Lord, I pray that they would grow in their walking relationship with you. We welcome them into the family of God as our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we rejoice in their decision today. And may we live for you, the one who died for us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Let's celebrate big some decisions for Christ this morning. Amen. Amen. The Bible says that there is a celebration in heaven whenever somebody makes that decision. So if you made that decision today, thank you for having the courage to do that. We would love to help you take your next step in your newfound walk with the Lord. One way we can do that, and I'm going to ask you to do this for me. If you made that decision today, you received a newsletter on the way in. Inside that newsletter is a connection card. If you would just take that and fill out your basic contact information on the back, there's a spot for you to check I said yes to Jesus. If you'll do that, drop that in the offering when we receive it at the end of service. We'll be able to follow up with you, be able to pray for you by name, and be able to send you a free booklet in the mail that's going to help you in your newfound walk with Jesus. Also, if you're a first-time guest today, I hope you filled out that connection card as well. If you'll drop that in the offering when it goes by here in a moment, we'll be able to send you a thank you card and a free gift in the mail as well. And if you are new to Orchard, Pastor Doug will be back uh, outside if it's not raining or inside it if it, if it is raining, just to say hi. So please stop by, say hi to him uh, by the blue tent uh, before you leave today. In a moment, we're going to uh, collect uh, the offering. We're going to receive the offering. So if you'll stand with me as we close in a song of worship and as we worship through our tithes and offerings and giving, because we want to be a church who acts our wage by giving first, saving second, and living on the rest. Thank you, Orchard. church.